Hello, this is James, and welcome back to The Word is Very Near You, my podcast about God's closeness in our everyday lives. Thanks so much for being with me today. I'm in a series called Think and Do, which is based on Paul's letter to the Ephesians. I have fond memories of playing tug-of-war as a kid. Not a game I played a lot, but occasionally at school or perhaps at Boy Scouts or on a weekend retreat or something. You know how it goes, right? You have a thick, heavy rope, perhaps with a flag in the middle, and have a nice, large mud puddle right there in the middle also. Divide the kids up into two groups, put the big, strong kid at the end to be the anchor, and the two groups start pulling back and forth, trying to pull the other side into the mud puddle. Again, not something we played a lot, but the memories I do have of it are quite vivid, of usually being on the losing side for whatever reason and being pulled into the mud puddle. Tug-of-war. Tug-of-war is also an image that describes a lot of human relationships, isn't it? You certainly see it a lot in marriages. You see it in parent-child relationships. You even see it at work. Two opposing sides pulling back and forth against each other with the apparent goal of pulling the other side into the mud puddle, of getting their way and making sure the other person doesn't get their way. It's a tug-of-war. I'm going to impose my will against you using my ego, my strength, my power to make sure I get my way so that you don't get your way. And I'm going to pull you over to my side and perhaps in the process belittle you or bring you down into the mud puddle. It's a tug-of-war. A lot of relationships, unfortunately, are characterized by this back-and-forth pulling against each other with all of our might in an effort to get our way. And so it's against this backdrop of ordinary and yet difficult human relationships that Paul pins his letter to the Ephesians. Because theology, after all, is not meant to be a scholarly abstraction, but it's meant to be applied to the rough and tumble of everyday life, and especially the rough and tumble of relationships. And you know as well as I do how difficult and demanding relationships can be at times. They can be like a tug-of-war. In today's passage, Paul speaks to this arena of human relationships, and he begins by talking about the most intimate relationship, marriage. I'm starting in Ephesians 5, verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, people have never hated their own bodies, but they feed and care for them, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. 
For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. This is an amazing passage. And there is much I would like to say about it. In fact, much more than I have time for today. But I'll start with this. It's critical that we read this passage against the cultural background in which it was written. In the Roman Empire, Roman law and custom made the husband the head of the household. He had legal authority and power over his wife. That's not to say the woman didn't have any rights. She did. But in the power dynamic, in the tug of war, the husband had more strength because he had Roman law on his side. So during the first part of this passage, the part about wives submitting to your husbands and how the husband is the head of the wife, there would have been nothing surprising to Paul's first hearers and readers. They would have been in total agreement with those statements. But where Paul starts to cut across cultural norms is in the second part where he talks about husbands loving your wives and giving themselves up for her and, in a sense, submitting to their wives. Even though he doesn't use that word directly, what he's describing is a life of servanthood, a life of sacrificial love. And this is where he begins to turn some of the cultural assumptions upside down, telling husbands they are not to rule by exercising their power and demanding their rights, but rather laying down their rights and, in essence, submitting to their wives in love by serving them through self-sacrifice, following the example of Christ. That would have been a bit radical for most husbands in Paul's day. And it's vital that we have this understanding of the cultural background because I can't tell you how many times I've heard this passage used as a kind of blunt instrument in a marriage relationship for one party to tell the other. And more often, unfortunately, it's the husbands using it against their wives to say, you must submit to me. The Bible says so. You must do what I say because I'm the head of you. It says right here. And that's really a misuse and a misreading of this passage for so many reasons. And one of those reasons being That kind of approach ignores the very first verse in this section, verse 21, which reads, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. The second major area I want to draw your attention to is the theological foundation that Paul builds this passage on. I'm looking here at verses 31 and 32, which read, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. Verse 31, of course, is a quote from Genesis 2, the creation story of Adam and Eve. The two will become one flesh is, of course, a reference to the sexual relationship between husband and wife. But, as Paul says in verse 32, it's also meant to give us insight into the intimate love relationship that Christ has with his people, the church, that marriage is a picture 
of God's love for us. God loves us the way a good husband loves his wife. That's why throughout the New Testament, Jesus is often referred to as the bridegroom, and we, his church, his people, are called the bride. We are the bride of Christ, and he loves us with an intimate, sacrificial, self-giving love. Many Christians I know operate out of this great sense of duty that God is this great and awesome and powerful king, and we are his loyal and somewhat cringing subjects who have no choice but to obey him. And while there may be a kernel of truth in that, certainly the message of Jesus in him coming to earth and doing the things he did and saying the things he said was to show us that God wants so much more for that than us, that God is inviting us into a love relationship with him, into a deep union with him, into, in fact, a marriage with him. That marriage is a picture of the deep, abiding, passionate love God has for us in Christ. That is the upshot of what Paul is saying in these verses. Marriage is a picture of the deep union, the love, the passion Christ the bridegroom has for us, his church, the bride. And we can't miss that here. It's so important that we operate on a day-to-day basis knowing that we are the cherished and beloved bride of Christ and not out of some sense of duty of being servants toiling away in the fields to please a distant and aloof master. One of my favorite books on marriage is called The Mystery of Marriage by Mike Mason. It's just an incredible study of what marriage is and God's purposes for it. And Mason has this to say about the picture of marriage being a picture of God's love for us. He says, To know the Lord is to be brought into a personal relationship so dramatic and overwhelming that marriage is only a pale image of it. Still, marriage is the closest analogy in earthly experience, and that is why the Bible so often uses the picture of a wedding and of the bride and groom to convey something of what it means for human beings to be united to God in love. Certainly, Paul wants his readers here to not miss the bigger point that their marriages are a picture of the passionate love God has for his people. A good marriage is like a signpost to the world, pointing them to the love and the passion of their creator that he has for them. So if we can somehow keep that perspective in our marriages, it keeps us from getting entrenched in these long and protracted tugs of war, doesn't it? I've been married now for almost 22 years, and we've certainly had our fair share of tugs of war, times when it just seems like no one's going to give in, and we're just pulling, pulling, pulling against each other with all of our might, trying to get our way, trying to assert our individual wills. Because what this passage is essentially saying is, drop the rope. Wives, drop the rope. Husbands, drop the rope. Quit tugging, quit pulling, quit insisting upon your way, your rights. Drop the rope. And you see that same advice as this passage continues on in chapter 6, where Paul talks about the relationship between children and parents 
and even slaves and masters. And so in all three sets of these relationships, wives to husbands, children to parents, slaves to masters, you see this pattern where the weaker or inferior party is addressed first, and their instructions are nothing surprising. They're told to do their part and play their role. But then in each case, the surprising part is when Paul tells the stronger member of each relationship, lay down your rights, serve that person, essentially submit to the weaker party in love. And I just can't emphasize enough how radical that idea would have been to Roman husbands and fathers who essentially had the power to serve as magistrates within their family, able to impose various penalties. And so for Paul telling them to drop the rope, to serve, to submit, that was cutting edge, radical. So I'll close today by saying that if you find yourself in some relationship where you're in a tug of war, whether you're the weaker party or the stronger party, Take Paul's advice here and just drop the rope. Now, you may need to pray about what exactly that looks like and the timing of that. But remember, this passage began with the words, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's our call. It's not easy, but that is our call. I'll close with another quote by Mike Mason because he's just so good at describing what especially the marriage relationship should look like. He says, Marriage at its best is a sort of contest in what might be called one-downsmanship, a backwards tug-of-war between two wills equally determined not to win. That is really the only attitude that works in marriage because that is the way the Lord designed it. He planned it especially as a way for men and women to enter wholeheartedly with full consent and consequent peace and joy into the inevitable process of their own diminishment. Think about that. We willingly enter into a process, a relationship, which results in our own diminishment. It's amazing. This has been The Word is Very Near You. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back soon with another devotion.